I want to tell you about the little church that I um, came up in. I say came up in. I was only in it about 15 months before uh, I went to college. But it was a uh, marvelous, rocking church. And I think just about uh, all of my ministry, I've been trying to reproduce what we experienced there nearly every place I've served. And we've seen some measure of victory uh, in that. But I recall I left uh, the West Coast and went to college in East Texas. And you talk about culture shock. I went to a place where people talked too fast and drove too fast to East Texas where they got tickets for driving too slow. And uh, that's how it was there. But uh, I recall that uh, several times a year I would fly back and I would uh, go back to my home church and I would visit. And it was just as warm then as it always had been. And I recall the year I took um, Sherry Michelle uh, to meet my family and to meet my home church uh, back in 1990, I believe it was, that uh, it, was, it was still just as warm. And what you need to understand is that no one that I came up in the youth ministry with was there any longer. They were all gone. This was a small town, and when you finished high school, you did like I did, you scattered, and you went some other place, usually to school, some to work, some, many into the military. But when I went back to my home church, my home church was still there. Because not all of my relationships were with teenagers and now college students. Many of my relationships were with staff and with deacons and deacons' wives and deacons' families, Sunday school teachers, Sunday school um, uh, members and other classes. In other words, what we're finding today is that anywhere from 70 to 85% of kids who finish high school drop out of church after they finish high school. I was never tempted to do that because I think some of that is due to the fact that when they finish a church, many of those they go to church with scatter and they don't come back. And so when they do come back, their church is no longer there because they weren't connected to people older than them. That was not the case when I went back. And do you know something? To this day, many of those deacons and people that are still living still pray for me. And I'm Facebook friends with them. It's the most remarkable thing that even after more than three decades, we are tight and we walk uh, as best we can with one another. Well, with that, I want to ask you to join me in Proverbs chapter 27. And I want you to understand as we look at this text that everyone is vying for this generation of children and students. Everyone wants them except some churches. Everyone wants them. And you know who's going to get them? Are the secularists going to get them? Are the anti-God forces going to get them? Are the political parties going to get them? Are those that are misguided about theology and doctrine, morality, and other areas going to get them? I'll tell you who will get them. Those who will get them are those who want them the most and will plan to reach and keep every one of them. I want to make it abundantly clear that here at Beach Haven Baptist Church, we do not want merely one generation. We want them all. That's what we want. And we will specifically, intentionally, purposefully, zealously, and financially organize ourselves to reach and keep children and students so that they will become faithful young adults. Whoever wants the next generation the most We'll get them, is what Michael Cat at Sherwood says. And together, we can reach and keep the next generation if we intentionally shape our church to do so. 
So what must we do to intentionally shape our church to reach and keep the next generation? Well, the first thing is this, and it comes from the text, verses 5 through 10. And that is, embrace them as friends. Uh, Too often, uh, it can be that adults put themselves into an adversarial relationship with children and teenagers. Maybe not those in their own family. Well, maybe the teenagers. But not necessarily the the, the children. But so often in groups and organizations, there can be something of a competitive adversarial spirit that develops between adults and children and students. And that is because the adults don't like the kids' music. They don't like their hair. They don't like their tattoos. They don't like their names. They don't like their manners. And, and, and Listen, you need to understand, it is a difficult, difficult time to be a child or a teenager, far more difficult than what it was for you. For many guys like me, one of the most difficult days of my life is when I discovered I was not going to be a professional ball player. That was 10 months after University of Houston talked to me about coming on scholarship. I think I had a really good week that week at baseball camp, unlike anything before, and at that moment, my skills stopped developing. I I, I had to face the fact I was not good enough to go. I just had a fluke of a week. I'd had a strange week. For some teenage girls, the worst day in their life is when they discover that there's no possible way they can be mermaids. and a variety of other things. You think that all that goes into being a teenage girl. I mean, you've got hair, you've got makeup, you've got eyes, eyeliner, mascara. It takes half a day for some of them to get ready. Not necessarily because there's something deficient about their appearance. There certainly isn't, but that's just what they do. It is a tough thing to be, and that's just one area of being a teenage girl. And then you discover you can't be a mermaid. It's tough. Ladies and gentlemen, let me make it abundantly clear. What what kids need from churches are not critics, but lifelong friends from adult generations. And at Beach Haven, they will have them. Verses 5 through 10. Look what it says here. They need adult friends to begin with in verse 5 and 6 in times of danger. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. There's some people very introverted with their love. And instead, they should be very gentle in a rebuke when it's necessary. Because verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And Jesus could say, Amen. That's what Judas did to me. They also need older adult friends in times of displacement. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. A bird away from a nest is very vulnerable and doesn't have the sight or the warning of other birds in the nest. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a city that is full of birds away from their nest. They're called university students and college students. And they need uh, attention. So they need these things in times of danger. They need these times of uh, uh, older adult friends in times of displacement. They need adult friends in times of decision. Uh, Verse 9, ointment and perfume delight the heart. That will relate to worship. And the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. No one is better off with just one mind going into a decision. The Scripture teaches that if we're surrounded by godly people who walk with God and walk through life, we're more likely to make a good decision. People that are isolated usually become insulated from wisdom. Loners become losers, almost always. Not that they want to, not that they should be, but that's exactly what happens. 
And so we need others when we make decisions. Then time of disaster, verse 10. We need older adult friends in times of disaster. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house on the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. In other words, right here presently, for those birds that are away from the nest, they need other birds, maybe not related to them, who come, who come alongside of them and are there in a time of disaster. And then time of disagreement, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Iron, when iron sharpens iron, you use one piece of iron to sharpen another, it creates friction. And so in good friendships, there will, unless the two people are perfect, in good friendships there will always be times of friction. And that's okay. And you need it coming from your friends when you're about to step off and be the biggest fool in the county. You've got to have friends like that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so what I'm proposing for churches, this one especially, but I wish everybody in the world would do it, is that we need to shift from merely offering kids and students programs to offering them programs and intense personal relationships with older adults. It's not enough merely to put on a good program. It's got to be fueled by prayer and walking with one another. And so we've got to labor as much as we can to make sure that we make friends with students and with children. Now, let me give you 10 good ways that you can avoid ever being a friend to make sure you never make a friend. Number one, wait for them to approach you. Wait for them to approach you. Good friendship is built upon someone taking the initiative and older adults are responsible. Then second, wait for them, or excuse me, um, uh, do not greet them. Don't greet them at all. And when you do, Make sure your handshake is as weak as it can be or it's so strong you nearly break their hand. Then avoid any eye contact. Then do not use their name. Then talk a lot about yourself. And when they talk, act bored. And then when they say something you disagree with, disagree vehemently. Oh, that'll win them over every time. Then don't smile. And then when you break up the conversation, don't say goodbye, and then be frequently absent. Oh, I could say something about that. I heard about this um, leader of an organization that was talking to the members of the organization, urging them to be faithful to their meetings. He said, we don't need you if you're not fully committed. You cannot be absent if you want to be part of the group. And that was a football coach talking to his football team. Do you know there are some coaches, in fact, I would say all of them, that have better attendance from their football players or their ball players than churches do church. And if you lay out a church, if you're apathetic, lazy, or indifferent, if you don't show up on Wednesday nights, if you just show up a couple times a month, you're not going to be able to be part of a great movement of adults becoming friends with kids. Now, now, you may be saying, how in the, why in the world are you teaching us, us the, these basic things about friendship? Because across the nation, we're getting worse. Manners from a previous generation have not been transferred to the next one. These used to be common assumptions years ago. I didn't have to be taught these things at all. 
But we're to the point now, not only with uh, children and students, but with adults as well, where we've got a large, burgeoning, growing number of people that don't know basic human relationships and friendships. And one of the best things you can do is just show up. Chronic absenteeism is not only disobedience to God, it is also detrimental to relationships. So the first thing to do is embrace them as friends. But the second is point them to Jesus Christ. Kara Powell, in her book, uh, Growing Young, talking about churches, said that in surveying a large number of young adults, they prefer those that are faithful to churches. Of the three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they really are thrilled when churches emphasize Jesus. I find that remarkable. There's not to say anything against talking about the Father or the Holy Spirit, but ladies and gentlemen, that is a value among those students that is precisely fit for the New Testament. Point them to Jesus Christ. Now, there's a need to do so that surfaces in verse 7 and in verse 22. In verse 7, they're desperate. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. Have you ever eaten so much that you can't stand to have another bite of food? You say, well, yeah, every time I eat. Well, that's how, that's what the text is saying. There are times when something like Something sweet, desirable as honey is nauseous because it's too much. And, and some people are like that. When they've got so many friends in their lives, they just can't stand anymore. But then look what it says later in verse number 7. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. That's why I worry, for example, about guys or gals when they're dating. And you've got this fine, upstanding kid. This young lady, just as beautiful, vivacious, intelligent, good grades, involved in everything in the local church, promising future, that ends up dating a guy who has never met a hairbrush. That has never met a stick of deodorant. That really his greatest ambition in life is to marry someone so they can take care of him and he can stay at home playing video games. In his mother's basement... You see, it makes me wonder, what in the world is going on here? Now, that happens not only with great, great girls, that happens with great guys as well. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason you see so much strange and odd behavior on the part of so many that are young is that their souls are desperate. They don't have a walk with God. They, they've never had a significant walk with another adult. And so they're more like the last part of verse 7 than the first part. And so they're desperate, but then they're just naturally depraved in verse 22. Though you grind a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. In other words, you could beat someone down so much and foolishness is still going to stay in their heart. Now, for those that give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, they have the counterbalance of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and greater is he that is in you than that natural depravity that's in the heart. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says it this way, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so there's a natural depravity. Now someone came to uh, Vance Hebner one day and said, I don't buy this doctrine of depravity. I don't swallow it. He said, you don't need to swallow it. It's already in you. The moment you're born, you're born to pray with a tendency and attraction, infatuation, fascination with sin. 
Of course, sin, as Freddie Gage used to say, sin fascinates and it assassinates. It thrills and it kills. Sin has never paid what it has promised to deliver. And so it comes from the culture. It comes from the heart and soul as well. And so there is tremendous need. They can't get free on their own. That's why they need Christ and they need faithful churches that lead them to Jesus Christ and point out Jesus and constantly focus on Jesus and don't grow weary or tired of talking about His cross and His resurrection, but exalt Him mightily all the time. They need Him. Now, in research, three out of four young adults indicated that they were faithful young adults, that is. They indicated they were under 16 when they came to Christ. And then another factor, faithful young adults can point to a moment in time when they gave themselves to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you remember when you gave your life to Christ? Do you remember the point in time when you did it? You may not remember the date. You may not remember all the details. But do you remember when you met Jesus Christ as Savior? Those who become faithful are those who can point to a moment in time where they gave themselves to Jesus Christ. So we are to always insist that church leaders and church te- teachers are radiant about Jesus Christ and evangelism. Don't have, don't be ugly or rude, but don't have a lot of patience with those who whine. Well, all we ever hear is get saved and salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, that's in the text and you have to cut out most of the Bible if you are not going to embrace that. You know what people's problem is when they start complaining that we preach and teach too much on salvation? Number one, they don't realize that about 90% to 95% of all Christian resources in the nation go to Christians. And only about 5 to 10% are left over for the world. Folks, we're already giving a lot to Christians, and it's grotesquely imbalanced in favor of the world. We are so far away from J. Oswald Smith, pastor of the People's Church in Toronto, that wanted to give 50% of all undesignated receipts to foreign missions. Many of them don't realize that. Then they complain, all we ever hear is get saved. Well, they're not thinking of eternity. How could you say that, thinking about eternity? And then, frankly, some of them don't care what happens to other people. They don't care what happens after death. I want to assure you, at Beach Haven, we care because Jesus Christ cares. And at the end of this message, we're going to invite you to trust the death and resurrection of Christ alone and give your heart and life and sins away to Jesus Christ because he's calling for them all. And we'll do that after the message. So embrace them as friends and then point them to Jesus Christ, but then encourage them in worship. It reminds me of an old cowboy out in West Texas. He had a grandson, and his grandson said, Granddaddy, what is your secret to a long life? He was 93 years old and still active, sharp, and strong. He said, well, what I do is I pour a little gunpowder on my oatmeal every morning, and I've done that all my life. If you'll do that, you'll be fine. Well, his grandson died in his 90s as well. And when he did, he left behind children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And at the crematorium, a 15-foot whole wall in the building. Ladies and gentlemen, worship is to be a bang for Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness, can you imagine? Don't let your mind go there. That's pretty gross. But that's how worship is to be. And that's implied in verse number 9. Ointment and perfume delight the heart. This is ointment and perfume that were used with the priest and in the worship service. So there's to be some delight in worship. There's to be joy in worship. Do you know what I've had people tell me? Oh, and it's a terrible misunderstanding of the word reverence. 
in the Bible. They say, you need to make those people be quiet before the service. It's not reverent. Yes, it is. Reverence is not quietness. That's death. Reverence is godliness in pointing yourself to God. And ladies and gentlemen, I could tell everybody in the building to be quiet before the worship service in two things. Number one, it would be wrong. Number two, they wouldn't listen to me. There's rapturous joy when we gather together. I'm glad I'm part of the family of God. And it gives me the opportunity to gather with others and to encourage them and to build my walk with them and prompt them to worship Him. And then I've had somebody tell me, before the worship, I just want people to leave me alone. And my response is, then stay home. Listen, let me make it very clear. Don't you ever, and I want to say thank you for how you handle worship. But just in case you're ever in a place where they try to quash the joy of children and students in worship, don't you ever participate in a movement like that or any effort at all. Look with me in Mark chapter 9, by the way. I need everyone's eyes on this. You can take a risk if you want to. And uh, I would suggest to you instead that you follow the example of our adults and our senior adults. We've made worship changes and transitions. We're doing it all the time, by the way. And they have been marvelous and set a marvelous example. But in case you're someplace anywhere in the future, you need to consider Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Are you there? Look with me. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Mark chapter 9, verse 42 and 43. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now this is rabbinic hyperbole. He's overstating a point to make it. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than rather to have two hands and go to hell in the fire that shall never be quenched. Hey, you, you can try to quash people's joy in worship but Jesus has got a word here if we cause little ones to stumble. Boring churches and boring worship services do not deserve children, students, and families, and the lively churches will get them. And let me go further. Every church has a community, has a, every community has a church for dead, lifeless members, and this is not one of them. This is not going to be one of them. Boy, did he say that? Yeah, he did. You think he'll do it again? Well, he just might. Listen to me. This is not a dead, lifeless church for boring, dead, lifeless members. We're going to magnify Jesus Christ as if he was crucified yesterday, raised today, and coming back, uh, back again tomorrow. That's where we are. So encourage them in worship. Fourth, guard them as a flock. Now, sheep are needy. In verses 23 through 27, talk about this. That's the background of this. Sheep are needy. They get lost even when their home is in sight. They're unable to find their own food and water. They are helpless and defenseless against pests and predators. Not merely the predators, but also the pests. Now, verse 23 through 27 say that we've got to guard them. Look with me there. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. In other words, you need your flocks to keep supplying what you're doing. Because riches aren't forever. A crown doesn't endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself, 
and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, that's their feeding ground, well, the lamps will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of your field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food and for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. So take care of them. Make sure they are able to live in safety so they can eat, and there will be a reciprocal relationship here. You take care of them. They will take care of you, and that is how it is with children and with students. Now, a couple of things we need to guard. One, we need to guard their safety. We need to guard their safety. Every church needs to be very intense about guarding kids, more so today than yesterday, and more so in this decade than the previous, and more so today than in the 50s, because in the 50s, with the rock and roll movement, we unleashed forces, moral forces, that we've not been able to contain. And the 50s became the 60s, and the 60s became the 70s, and the 70s became the 80s, 80s became the 90s. Hey, uh, one social commentator has said that in American life, sex oozes out of every pore of American life. He said that in 1978. And what we did beginning in the 50s is that we unleashed forces in American life that many people have been able to navigate. Some have failed, but they've recovered. But there are people that are so, for family reasons, personal reasons, other reasons, that are so twisted, so perverted, that it grabs them, holds them, and keeps them for the rest of their lives, and they never seek God for supernatural intervention to change them. We realize that, and we recognize that, and so for that reason, at Beach Haven Baptist Church, we have very intense and precise child protection policies, and we aren't afraid to implement them, and I want to say thank you so much for cooperating with us. We've got two adults in every room. We've got more than 30 security cameras around the, um, around the building. We train all of our paid staff in recognizing and reporting any kind of child, child abuse or su suspected child abuse and a, a variety of other measures. Then we engaged in the Act 22 project and spent a lot of money to make the preschool and children's area safe, especially putting it behind locked doors and implementing the security cameras and a variety of other measures, many of which we were already doing. I hate to say it, but in this day, you have to be intentional about protecting kids. You've got to protect their safety, but then you've got to guard their minds. Now, the biggest predator of sheep and goats through the years have been the wolves. Now, I can hear, I can imagine some wolves being present listening to this message saying, oh my goodness, can you believe what he's saying? And then some of these wolves meeting some of our members out front and protesting any desire to protect the hearts and minds of children and students. What would wolves say about those shepherds who were seeking to guard the sheep? Well, I can hear one wolf saying, you all are so narrow-minded. You think your shepherd is better than the alpha male of our pack. You're narrow-minded. And then another, yeah, well, you're, not only that, but you're arrogant. You think your wool is better than our fur. Many in our culture do something similar with Jesus Christ. You think Jesus is better than all the others? You bet we do. He's the only one with the credentials to claim the same. Hey, listen, 
you, you, uh, you be the son of God, get yourself born of a virgin, live a sinless life, crucified, buried, raised on the third day, change lives and nations for millenniums, and then you come talk to me. Otherwise, go back to your grave. Those faithful young adults and some that were unfaithful said that uh, 25, they were 25% more likely to stray from church involvement if they had a low view of the Scripture. Those that were faithful said, or we found, that a church that held a high view of Scripture, they were 84% more likely to stay. So churches must guard and never capitulate to political correctness whatsoever. G. Campbell Morgan said this, talking about the city of Corinth where it had infected and invaded the church at Corinth so pathetically. He said, The spirit of the city of Corinth had entered into the church. That is always a great peril to the church. Now, we are sometimes told that we need as preachers and churches, I would say, to catch the spirit of the age. Quit being a bunch of fuddy-duddies, too. Does anyone use that word anymore? Quit being so narrow. Quit being so irrelevant. That we need to catch the spirit of the age. He said, I deny that emphatically. Our work is not to catch the spirit of the age. It's to correct the spirit of the age. And together, if we will embrace children and students as friends, we can do it. If we will point them to Christ, we can do it. If together we will encourage them in worship and guard them as a flock, we will do it. There are a bunch of folks traipsing through the jungle one day, and they came upon an elephant that had been killed. And next to it was a real short man. In fact, uh, they called him a pygmy. And they said, how in the world did you kill this elephant? He said, well, with my club. And they said, how big is your club? He said, about 60 people strong. Ladies and gentlemen, when we bond together and unite together, there is nothing that can keep us from building children and students into faithful young adults. And we need to have a big club. If we shape ourselves intentionally to do that, we can. And so let us labor, let us pray, let us give, and let us strive with as much intensity and holiness and joy so that when our days are done, they will say about Beach Haven, they love kids and students. Now, you can do that today, and I want you to. And, and look, you don't pay me to ignore me, so listen real carefully. Okay? Right after the service, I want you to do this today. I want you to practice the 3 10, 20 rule. 3, 10, 20. I want you to find somebody that you do not know and spend three minutes with them immediately. Don't you dare run out of this place like the building's on fire. Okay? Find someone that you do not know and spend three minutes with them. And right now, I see a bunch of folks that would qualify for most of you. I know most everyone here, but there's some folks that have been guests and others that have been members a long time you don't know. So, three minutes. Find someone you do not know and spend three minutes with them. Then, 10. When you come within 10 foot of someone, greet them. 
in an appropriate way. Okay? Within 10 foot, greet them. And 20 is this. I want you to shake at least 20 hands before you get off the property today. Three minutes, 10 foot, 20 hands. Spend three minutes with someone you do not know or someone that you may know and may not even know their name. And you know how to, if you suspect they don't know your name, you know what you do? Here's what I do. I'll be talking with them for a while and I'll say, you know, I said to myself the other day, David Mills, what in the world were you thinking? So I give them my name. I know they're struggling to remember it, but that's a great big help. So uh, uh, three minutes. Then within 10 foot of anyone, you greet them. And then 20 hands. That's what we do. That's how we're going to get this started today. But what's more, Jesus Christ wants to immerse himself in you just like I'm encouraging you to do with one another. And all of that's possible. He's done all the work. He's heated it up. He's purchased favor with God for you by dying on the cross so you can trust him. You don't have to doubt him. He wants you more than you want to come to him. He wants to liberate you more than you want to be liberated. He wants you to be in a right relationship with him more even than you want it. And you want it much. And you can have it today. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand in just a moment. And when we sing, we're going to invite you to come. Our staff will be here. Tell them your need. Go public for Jesus Christ. It's the perfect time to do it in the midst of all of these friends. We had one that went public today by baptism. Why don't you go ahead and come and talk to a staff member today about your need. Would you quickly stand with me, please, and let's talk to God. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for the good news of the word, and I pray that you will come in power and great glory and gather for yourself all that you desired in this worship service and the purpose for which you have arranged this. Lord, you made great and precious promises, and I want to pray you'll save someone today. I pray that you'll claim someone today. And I pray that you'll activate all of us to implement your word with some really simple measures and then, when necessary, complex ones. Lord, I want to pray that indeed we will have the kind of ministry where the whole community and the region will shout, Beach Haven Baptist Church loves Jesus and loves kids and students. Would you please make that real? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing, why don't you come? <laughs>